Hey, my friends, welcome to the Quick Talk Podcast. This will be a probably a weird episode. I'm not sure how this is going to go. <laughs> not sure if I'll even publish this after I'm done recording it, but I'm just going to kind of share my heart a little bit. I'm going to recap kind of my whole story and be vulnerable a little bit, maybe as really an encouragement to you and maybe as some therapy for myself to remind myself of some things. But if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you probably know a lot of my story, uh, but I know that we've grown a lot of listeners in the last while, and some of you don't know. And I'll start off by saying this to try to hook you to stay to the end. <laughs> so my wife and I are about to be- launch a business this year that we've had like on our hearts to do for about five years. It's something that I wasn't ready to do. I wasn't, we weren't in a position to do it yet because we were finishing other projects. We were, we were kind of like building up to the point to be able to do this. And now it's kind of here and I am freaking out. I am like paralyzed by overthinking every little step and I'm violating my own advice in so many areas. And I'm having, having this like cognitive dissonance because I know what I would coach someone to do in my own scenario, yet I struggle so bad with it. And let me give you a little bit of backstory. So um, we have five kids. We have a massive fire in our belly for entrepreneurial families. We have a huge soft, not not a soft spot, like we have a fire for like this, this realm of entrepreneurial families. And if you don't have a family, like that won't relate to you. But for the people that do, We believe that entrepreneurial families are the most important people on the planet. I will defend that statement like till the day I'm dead. Like every good thing in our life comes from an entrepreneur that took a risk. I'm not talking about like love or like your relationships. I'm talking about in the physical world, every luxury, every convenience, every gadget, every device, every service comes because of an entrepreneur that took a risk and most of those entrepreneurs could take that risk because they had a family supporting them or a family sacrificing as they took that risk right and so with all new things like all new projects even your business it feels it's kind of like like giving birth to a baby it's like there's there's this anticipation and this build-up and you're dreaming about things and you romanticize about what could be and it's exciting and it's like dopamine filled and all this stuff And then as you get closer and closer to launching your business, or maybe not even launching your business, but maybe for you, it's like you're actually ready to really take it serious this year. Or, okay, I had to cough. Having some issues, been sick for about nine days. Anyway, maybe this is the year where you're going to take it to the next level. You're going to do something bigger, different, crazier than you've done before. Like you're moving out of the status quo, out of the comfort zone into something different. I don't know what that is for you, but starting a new company feels like that or actually getting serious about your company feels like that. And it's it's this weird mix of excitement and fear and overthinking things and all this crazy stuff going on in your head. And I'm going through that again right now. Uh, for those that don't know my story, I started with absolutely nothing. I was a pizza delivery guy. And, you know, part of the the way that I tell my story when I'm doing like presentations or a webinar or on the podcast, you know, I have to condense things down to make it like digestible into bite-sized chunks so that I don't bore people. And all my little main points are true, but there's so many other pieces to it 
that people won't know about unless they're personal friends with me or something. But when I was back in the trailer park, you know, when I, I moved out of my house two weeks after I graduated high school, I had a rebellious kind of thing going on. I was ready to do, to do my own thing. I'd actually moved out for about a week when I was still in high school and then came back and then finished high school. My parents went on vacation and I left. I was done, right? I had this like this chip on my shoulder to prove to the world that I could do it on my own. Like I didn't need anybody. I was this big man, all this stuff, right? Lots of guys go through that. And I delivered pizza, which is like funny, but it it wasn't funny. Like that's what I I was doing. And I did it well. And I, I worked extra shifts and I worked really hard. And, you know, I, I made more money than all the other pizza delivery drivers because I'd work a bajillion hours a week and I'd have all this cash. I, I always had money, even in high school when I was like, as soon as I could drive or even before I could deliver pizza, I worked in the pizza store, right? And I would save my money. And when I was 16, 17 years old, I was reading books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and beginning to juice that entrepreneurial spirit in my brain. And although I didn't grow up with much and I come from a 100% non-entrepreneurial family, that had massive doubts and self-limiting beliefs about business in general, massive fear, you know, almost like an underlying, we had came from like kind of a union background with my extended family where people are, you know, I don't even want to go down that rabbit trail, but like, I'm trying to help you understand my mindset that I was surrounded by, but I had this entrepreneurial fire. I wanted to do something epic. I wanted to make money. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to have nice things. Well, I proposed to my fiance, Ashley, who was my high school girlfriend. We get married and we lived in a trailer. Now, this wasn't any trailer. This was a trailer that I bought on my own with no cosigner, with my own money. It was a really big deal to a 19-year-old as I was starting to sign the papers. When we got married, moved in, uh, we were 20. Uh, It was one of the worst financial decisions I ever made to buy that trailer because those are depreciating horrible assets or not assets that you get a vehicle title for your trailer but it was nice like it was good it wasn't bad it was good it was a brand new double wide mobile home i way overpaid for it i got totally screwed over by the salespeople. it was a whole nightmare but i was so proud of that but it also like increased the pressure on me because my bills were higher i was a pizza guy who was married also with the trailer right so I go to work, I go to work, I take extra shifts. I, I dig in a little more entrepreneurially. Like I start learning some extra stuff. And I finally get to a place where I realize, you know, I need to start my own business. I need to do my own thing. And I was so freaked out. I could barely sleep. I was obsessed. And back then, this is this is a long time ago, guys. This is 15 years ago. And in internet years, that's an eternity, right? So in internet years, uh, there wasn't the resources out there. But whatever I found, I would consume. Whatever book I could digest, I would read it. I'd read. I'd go to Barnes and Noble or these these bookstores and just read the business magazines, the small business opportunity magazines. I tried all kinds of crazy stuff. I started a couple little harebrained side businesses. I dabbled. I didn't even know that I was dabbling. I didn't know anything. Right. I still had very small belief in my subconscious, but I also knew that it was technically possible because people were doing this crazy stuff. And I get introduced to window cleaning by this guy named Frank. Frank was not a good person. Frank was a very bad person. (laughs) And he had this massive, what to me was massive at the time, window cleaning business in my hometown. I left my pizza job to go work for Frank, which is a big deal. Because I had worked that pizza job loyally 
for many years, all the way from high school, all the way to when I met Frank, when I was maybe 21 or something, 20 or 21. And I worked for him as a window cleaner and I would show up early and stay late and I try to learn. And I was more fascinated by his business model and the entrepreneurship side than anything. This guy was a total whack job. He was like horrible to employees. He wouldn't pay people. He was mean to his family. He was a terrible human being, but he was making like $5,000 a week. Like I had figured out he was making f between five and $10,000 a week with his cleaning business and it blew my mind. So needless to say, I only lasted with Frank for about four or five months and I ventured out on my own. And when I ventured out on my own, it put even more pressure on me. My fear grew, right? But I also performed, right? Like I, I did the hard things that was required because like I, I burned the bridge. I left the job. I had already left the pizza job, left that job. I called my shot, said I'm gonna do my own thing. And I started to do it. Now, in my head, I was like this warrior going on a quest but I'm certain that for all my friends and family watching me, I like how ridiculous this whole thing must look still to this point where Josh, you know, he was a quarterback of the, uh, his football team. I was, a, I got voted best personality in school. I was a prom king. I was a popular kid in school and I got all the teachers love. I had a master key to my school. I got away with murder in high school. And in a lot of ways that really crippled me when I became an adult, right? Because I, I realized within about five minutes after graduating that nobody cared about all that useless crap from high school. Um, but I can, I can picture people watching me on my journey like, oh, 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 God. Oh, oh, Josh, what do you? Oh, poor thing. Right. Like feeling sorry for me. But I had this fire in my belly. So I start my business and I do horrible and then I do a little less horrible. And then I get a couple jobs. And I, we have a little bit of money. And the whole time, mind you, my wife is like cheering me on, like supporting me has massive doubts and fears herself, but doesn't really share them with me. She's like <laughs> actually being positive, like, go get them, honey. And we have no money, right? My original goal is to make $500 a week cleaning windows. And it was so stressful for me to think about how I could make that happen consistently. Anyway, so I built that business up to about 212 customers. And the reason I know that is because after I got to about 212 customers, can't remember my revenue because I didn't keep track of my books correctly <laughs> at all. Early 20s, I got the opportunity to go work in the mortgage industry. And this is a part of my story people don't know about as much because it takes too long to explain. And so I go to the mortgage industry and I actually start to learn sales. And I worked in a super high pressure, crazy call center environment for Quicken Loans. Quicken Loans, great company. Um, you know, at the time when I worked there, they had like a six week training program for mortgage bankers and like 50% of the people that got hired didn't even make it through training. They just quit. They wouldn't come because what they do is they take us and put us in these cubes and they train us for like a week or two on some scripting and then they would make us cold call like all these dead leads. So imagine you're sitting there making 200 calls a day to the worst possible leads that Quicken Loans owned is almost like a proving ground to see who could hack it. And so these people are like, what? I didn't request a mortgage. That was my, that that's spam. I, I clicked that two years ago. Why are you calling me, right? So call after call after call. And it was really hard, but it grew me. And I was nervous, but I didn't want to screw it up. I didn't want to uh, screw it up. Like I had quit my little window cleaning business of 212 customers to go do this thing because it seemed like the this amazing opportunity. 
So I, I stuck it out and I learned persuasion and I learned how to stack value and I learned the pro, like the importance of a structure and, and a system when it comes to a sales process. And I learned massively life-changing skills working for this company. I also survived training and, and made really good money for a young 20s person, right? So my commission checks went up every single month that I was employed at that company, which is about 13 months. And I remember when I had my first $10,000 month, it was at that job. Like that was money I couldn't even comprehend, right? That was like a half a year's pay for a pizza guy. And I made it in one month following the system, like working hard. But I was also getting burnt out. So I took a job at Chase Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. So now I had a little bit of street cred in terms of having a quote unquote real job. And I got recruited to go work at Chase Bank as a personal banker. And when you tell people you're a banker, they think that sounds really cool. It's not that cool. I mean, it's a nice, it's, it's okay. It's like a forty dollars or $50,000 a year job. You sit in a cube, you wear a little tie, and you help people open accounts and maybe do a little investments and you help small businesses uh, getting a loan or something. It's not a big deal, but it seemed better. I was going to make a little less money than I made uh, as a mortgage banker, but I was only 10 minutes from home, right? Now, this is the same time we bought our first house, which laid on more pressure, now, this entrepreneurial fire had never left me. What I had really been doing the whole time at this point in my career is forcing myself to, quote unquote, have a real job and, quote unquote, be a man that's responsible and like provide for my family, right? But inside, I felt like I was dying. And so we're getting our, our first house, which we could barely afford. I'm sitting in a cubicle, the fattest I ever had been in my life. I was super fit and like the, the good looking fit quarterback guy. I got totally fat, hated super high stress. I was learning massive skills, but had this internal conflict with my life and the purpose of my life. And I was really disappointed in myself for leaving my silly window cleaning business at 212 customers, right? And by now we're two years past that business. So those 212 customers, I had left them and abandoned them for two years. And I'm sitting in my cubicle at Chase Bank, ready to just be done. And this is when my wife gets pregnant. And we have been married for about five years when she got pregnant. We're in this brand new little house. We're not in the uh, trailer park anymore, or as my friend calls it, a condominium. <laughs> and no one on the outside probably knew that I was like dying inside, but I was dying inside. And I knew that like it was a now or never moment because we we're going to have a baby and I would I just could flat I could see my life flashing before my eyes. I could see the next 35, 40 years of my life just going boom, done that we have the baby. I'm a quote unquote, I'm a banker. That's what I am now. That's what I do now. I could see all that and I panicked and I quit my job. I freaked out. I didn't want to do that. So I got my entrepreneurial fire spark back up. I got my wife sort of back on board, although she was horrified, right? Because we had insurance and we had like a stable paycheck and I had my two or three weeks vacation and I was done at five o'clock every day. It was, a, it was a standard job, right? And I could have went into management. Like I was crushing it as a banker. I had the sales MVP award. I won all this stuff. I, I, it's a whole thing, right? I was doing good at it while I hated it. And while I was getting out of shape and fat and felt horrible about my life because I hated what I was doing, I was technically able to do it, but I hated it. I think that's why I love the quote, you know, an entrepreneur is someone who trades in a 40-hour work week for someone else so they can work 100 hours a week for themselves. <laughs> like, I would rather work 100 hours a week for myself than 40 hours for someone else. 
when I left that job, that was like, that was the last time I ever had a job. So I was 25, that was like 13 years ago or something, maybe 12 or 13 years ago. I haven't had a job in over a decade now. But I go to start my company and I feel kind of okay about it because I have 212 customers. Okay. And I'm like, you know what? We'll be okay. Like I got 10, 20 grand worth of revenue here, whatever it was. My prices were just stupidly low and I had no idea what I was doing. But I was like, I'm just going to reach out to my 212 customers. They're all going to hire me back and I'll have a little bit of runway. Like I can get this going and this time I'm going to take it serious. I'm not going to dabble. Like I have a kid now. I have a real house. Like I've been married for several years. Like everyone's staring at me. Like if I screw this up, I will look like such a fool, right? My own mom wouldn't talk to me for a week when I started this business really back up because of our situation. Not because she didn't love me. It's because she did love me. She was terrified. (laughs) Based on my previous behavior, it probably made a lot of sense to be terrified. So anyway, I start the company up and we have TV trays in our new house. And me and my wife are filling out letters that we're sending to all 212 customers that I thank God saved on a thumb drive somewhere. I think they're in like Microsoft Outlook or something on my crappy little laptop that didn't even work that we got for free. And we get their addresses, we print out labels, we send them a letter, and we mail these things out. We got six customers back. Six. Six customers. I, lo- I leave the cushy job. I hated it, but it was cushy. We have a brand new house and a brand new baby, and we, I had six, six people call me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't understand anything. I was freaking out. So what choice was I left with other than to go out and do hard things and to just, it doesn't matter if you're scared, you just do it anyway, right? And because I was a little bit more mature, I just went and did it. I got up, I went out and I worked my ass off. And I usually usually don't say that word. I'm sorry if you have a kid. Sometimes I say it, but that's what it was. Um, that's what I did. And people don't understand how hard it was, right? So, you know, your confidence grows, your abilities and expertise grows, but none of that even happens unless you do things that horrify you, that you're terrified of, and you keep showing up and you do it for a really long time. You can't grow your confidence or your income or anything unless you repeatedly do the thing that freaks you out. And when I look back at my story, I've done that for a long time. I don't know if I have like some internal unfair advantage But I've taken risks that scare me a lot in my life. I I put so much pressure on myself. Maybe you're like this. When I was in high school uh, and playing sports, I would throw up before most of our football games. And as soon as we took the first snap, I would be fine. But like the buildup to doing something was terrifying to me. But I did it anyway, right? Like all these different, being on court and high school, all these dumb things that seem useless. But me as a teenager, me as a kid, like, I would step out. I would go for it. I would do a little bit more. I would do this. I would do that. I was a fighter. I would kickbox. I'd do things that always scared me, but I'd do it. I would show up and do it. And then even when I dabbled with the business and only got it to 212 customers, based on what my raw material was at the time, based on the mentorship I had at the time, which was none, that was a big deal for me to even do that. When I went and interviewed to get the job as a mortgage banker with no experience other than cleaning windows... That was scary, but I did it. And then I went to Chase and I did it. When I quit that bank at Ch- quit the job at Chase Bank, that was scary, but I did it. And when I restarted up my cus- my company 
and thought I had, you know, a little bit of customers, a couple hundred customers, and I only got six, I kept doing it. And I kept doing it every day for a really long time. And it was two and a half years of doing really hard things. I want you to think of what you're doing right now. But imagine it's even harder than it is right now. And imagine waking up every day and trying so hard for the next two and a half years and still believing enough to keep going. That's where I was when I discovered the concept of systems. And I've told that story so many times, like, oh my gosh, like I finally got it. Like, understand your numbers. Understand, I have to be a CEO, not a technician. This is when I started to figure out kind of the path. I had these light bulbs. My business tripled in one season with me having an elementary understanding of that. And from that point on, I started to build something special. And I had my business partner, Chris, come in. And we built an amazing company. Yes, there's lots of other companies more amazing. Yes, there's lots of companies that were bigger. But for us, this was a gigantic win for us. I had figured it out. I felt like I had cracked the code. In fact, the last two years I had that company, you hear me talk about how we were doing 150000 a month regularly. You know, boom, boom, boom. And we weren't just doing $150,000, $180,000 a month. We weren't doing $50,000 a week, a week cleaning windows with me and a squeegee, I wasn't even working in the business for two years. That's how obsessed with systems I got. Understanding my numbers, getting my weekly health check, like understanding leadership, developing other people. I was in the rabbit hole deep, right? And it was working. And we weren't in some magical market. We were 20 minutes south of Flint, Michigan. But for us, it was a huge deal. And this is without the resources, all the training that's out there now. Now you guys are inundated with stuff. There's so much white noise. There's, there's people out there now, like even try, this is so dumb. It's silly, but it's true. Like people are taking the things that I teach in the podcast and like recreating it or like trying to teach it again. Like they're just copying things, but like they missed it. Like, like things are changing so fast right now that even what I taught in this podcast two and a half, three years ago, like you got to be aware and be quick. But that's not the point of this podcast right now. The point is, is that I kept doing scary things and then it kept working. So we haven't even gotten started yet on the story. So if you're still with me, like, good for you because this is probably a weird podcast. But if you're still with me, check this out. My business is working. For two years, I'm totally chill. Now, I would put out a fire occasionally, but honestly, it wasn't very much. A lot of times I didn't work at all. We went camping a lot and traveled a lot and I hung out with my family a lot. In fact, it was too much because what I learned was that entrepreneurial fire that I had, that bug in my belly, that fire, like it didn't go away. Like making more money didn't make me happy at all. It didn't do anything for me. What I learned about myself was that creating things from nothing is what gets me going, right? So I sell my window cleaning business. And we actually had a little tiny pest control business that we had just launched for one season that I don't ever talk about, but we did launch and systemize to a small level. This pest control company is a sister company. We sold that too. I moved to Costa Rica. It was like I need, it was like I had this addiction to chase adventure or something. We moved to Costa Rica. We have a baby in a third world country. <laughs> We're living the dream. We have plenty of money. We have absolutely no debt, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank we're doing our thing and uh i start a podcast and i was also working on a software company called send gym which most of you are users of or at least you know what it is and i had my new thing to chase right and so 
I was overconfident because my window cleaning business worked that I could make this stuff work really easily. Well, it didn't work out like that. They're totally different industries, different markets, different models, different everything about everything is different and more complex with SendGem and these internet software things than my service business was. <laughs> so I began the journey of pain again. But I was willing to risk huge amounts of money, stupid amounts of hours, labor, and effort because I knew that if I kept showing up, it would work, that it would figure itself out. Guys, I someday in the future, I'll tell you the full story of Send Jim and how close it came to not happening and all this stuff. Uh, just know this. It was infinitely harder than my service company was. And hopefully I painted a picture to you of how that was so hard, right? It was unbelievable how much it stretched me and how much it cost and how many stupid things I did because I didn't understand things. And I learned the hard way through the school of hard knocks. Like maybe some of you are right now at the service company. But I kept showing up. I kept doing things I was uncomfortable with. Believe it or not, I was horrified to record a podcast or to make a video and it made me nervous. It made me want to throw up. I didn't want to do it. But I've done it so many times now, I don't feel like that anymore. I can go live and teach and be inspired because I've done it so much, right? So the thing that you're scared of right now is your doorway to the next level of opportunity for you. And due to my own ignorance or stupidity or, or, or my own love of self-punishment, I don't know, I have a tendency to do things anyway, even when it freaks me out. And if I'm really objective, I think that is one of the reasons that the things I have done have worked is because I'll do it bad and then I'll keep doing it until I do it good. And here's the really funny part. People don't even remember when you did it bad. They only remember the times when you did it good because I get all these messages. It's crazy from all over the world. I get emails. I get letters. People somehow track me down and mail me stuff in the mail regularly. They mail my wife stuff. We've gotten elaborate gifts from countless people. And they're like, they just want to be close to us. They want to like, I don't know, like they just want to say thank you. And it's the most humbling thing. But it's also like crazy to me because they, they, they're putting me on a pedestal that's not realistic. It's not real. Because I don't know why. But the reason that that even happened is because I kept showing up and doing things that scared me, even when I didn't want to, for a really long time. And so everyone says you're an overnight success, but they weren't with you for the decade when it was really hard, right? The same is true for you, and there's not a shortcut for you. You have to do the next thing until you can do the next thing. You can't go from step three to step seven. It, the universe won't allow you to. And even if it seems like you figured it out and cracked the code and you get to go to step seven, it will blow up, implode, fall down, and fall on your head and put you back. You have to actually de develop the real skills to be a CEO, to understand your numbers, to understand how to hire and to fire and to hold people accountable, how to position your offer, how to do all this stuff. There's a majillion things. There's so much stuff. And uh, so with Send Jim, yeah, it started to work. But if you look at the history of Send Jim, like I've been dinking around at this thing for like six years or something. And the total amount of money Send Jim made from day one when it was a hand sketched drawing on a piece of paper from that time, and we spent a fortune, from that day for the first, you know, four years or whatever, approximately, this isn't an actual timeline, I can't remember, but it's about four years, we didn't make anything. We made maybe two, three, four hundred grand in total revenue. I think we did like 60 grand our first year, 230 our next year. Like we, did, we didn't make money. 
And then now since then, it's like ridiculous. Like Send Jim did $110,000 like this week. Like this week, right? It's going to do millions and millions and millions. And uh, it's not a perfect company. There's lots of issues we need to fix. But think of in your head how that idea from a napkin became that. Like it's crazy to me. We're also launching a sister software company called Automate Motivate, which you've heard me talk about. That's going to be bigger than Send Jim is. Mark my words. It solves a, a, a more painful pain point. Uh, we can sell it globally instead of just the United States. It's a less complex application, and it's going to be ridiculous. Now, the app is just a 1.0 simple, simple, simple version, but we're going to build this thing into a beast of the most epic, crazy, fun, highest ROI thing people have ever seen ever. That's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. We're, and the people that are using it right now know it's going to happen. It'll be a process, but you just re remember what I'm telling you. It's because I keep doing things that make me nervous and showing up. And so let me round out the podcast and put a bow on this and lay in the plane for you. My wife and I, it's been our dream for five years to start a company called Honor and Fire. And, and I won't go into the whole vision of Honor and Fire. All I'll tell you is the mission statement for Honor and Fire. To equip entrepreneurial families to build wealth, become radically generous, and engineer a family culture that changes the world. And so around that idea, we're going to build a company. And it's going to be a weird company. We're going to give away exorbitant amounts of money to three causes that are important to us. Number one is orphans. Number two is widows. Number three is Christian missionaries. And I'm not talking about just doing a nice charitable thing. Like I want to build a machine where we can give $100 million away to those causes between now and when I'm dead. And so it will start off as an embryo. It'll start off as this thing. And right now it's not even started off yet because we're in the birth pains of this new vision and I'm terrified of it. It freaks me out. All I can see is all the areas of my life where I'm an imposter and oh, I'm going to talk about families. And then, you know, I didn't even spend time with my kids today. And all the imperfections that I have are, are talking to me in my ear. They're, they're, they're saying stuff to me, right? Oh, you're a hypocrite, Josh. Oh, you, don't, you ain't going to give away $100 million, Josh. Oh, who do you think you are, Josh? But what's funny is that I remember these same thoughts, these same voices with every project I've ever done. And I didn't even talk about the project of Automate Grow Sell, which is an educational company that's crushing it, oh, that I partnered with Brandon Vaughn on, and he's taken that over, and that is just changing people's lives. Every single one of these projects terrified me. Having an event at our house terrified me. Send Jim terrified me. Automate, motivate, terrify. All of it terrifies me. All of it. All the time. I think the difference, though, is that I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to pay $10,000 next month to make two two-minute videos explaining the vision for Honor and Fire. I'm going to give away $10,001 bills to make two two-minute videos just to be a video on one of the websites that I have to also pay to get built. <laughs> Just to explain Honor and Fire with a totally unproven concept, a totally unproven business model, not $1 in revenue generated. Like we're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars to imperfectly and probably mess up the launch of Honor and Fire. Like we don't know what we don't yet know yet, but I'm okay with it now. Like I'm more okay with it than ever before. And today was a hard day because I was really overthinking and getting stressed out because I have a to-do list that's a mile long. 
But I started laughing when I, when I got home tonight because this is the same pattern that happens every single time. The main difference with this is my vision for what this will be is a lot bigger, right? So if you look at the vision of Send Jim to be a $10 million company, like we're within range of that. Like that's not even scary now. Like we can do that. We got to do hard things. We're going to have to overcome some stuff. We'll, we'll keep developing it, growing our user base, serving people, getting results for people. But that's going to happen. And that, to, to the pizza guy, that was re, it's totally ridiculous, right? The $500 a week pizza guy couldn't even imagine my window cleaning business doing, you know, a million dollars, right? Well, that turns out that's not that big of a deal. And my window cleaning guy couldn't even imagine send Jim doing $10 million. And it turns out, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like we're, we're tracking towards that. Like we've got some things figured out. And then the new current version of Josh is like, you know what? Like, I think honor and fire, like if we do this right, we build a mass movement around it. Like if we're really changing the world, like I can see, like I believe, and I can see how this could be that $100 million thing to do the main thing, the main purpose of my life. The reason I'm here, like that's my mission is to give away the $100 million. Like I get it now, but I could have never been where I am right now if I didn't do all the hard, scary things. All of those 15 years worth of stuff that I just explained in the podcast. (sighs) I hope this is encouraging to you and maybe I told you more than you wanted to know about me and my life, but you know what? Do things bad until you can do it better. And then do it a little bit better than that. And then do it better than that. And eventually you won't even realize it and people will think you're amazing. And you won't even know why. Because you've had your head down just trying to improve. That's exactly what happened with this podcast. We're going to hit a million downloads on this podcast this year. Which is insane. For such a small niche of a market is window cleaning. I know a lot of our listeners have nothing to do with that. But that's who we're serving this up to. And it's been growing and overflowing from there. Anything is possible if you show up. You're allowed to have a bad day. You're allowed to have a bad attitude. You're allowed to be bad at stuff. You're allowed to be a victim as long as it's just for a minute. You got to keep showing up and keep doing the stuff. When I say keep chopping wood, I'm not, I'm not just throwing like fake motivational conjecture at you. Like that's my life. It really is. I've done a lot of hard things for a really long time. And so I have a certain result. And a few podcasts ago, I told you guys, whatever result you have is correct. The amount of effort you're putting out there is the reason that you have whatever you have, good, bad, or ugly. And so as hard as it is for me to admit, like the current situation that I'm in, You know, we have a beautiful, crazy castle house on 23 acres that's paid for. I have five healthy kids and a wife that loves me. We have systems in our family. We have our own family logo. Like, we're on a mission as a family. We're totally imperfect, but we have a very unique situation because of the wood that my wife and I have chopped and the things that we've done. We have businesses that are producing revenue, requiring me to do less and less personally, and we're starting to put things in place and hire other people to help. There's lots of messes everywhere with all of it, but it's a beautiful, crazy chaos. And the reason we even have these opportunities and we have all this stuff happening, we have this attention and we have all these things happening is because of the wood that I chopped and my wife chopped. So how big is your wood pile compared to mine? If you're behind me in terms of results, 
you got to chop faster and chop more. You got to do the stuff. And it's scary. Just do it anyway. Like that's, there's no other advice to give you other than that. You already know the next thing you're supposed to do that you're paralyzed on. Get it done right now. Hurry up. Get it done. Do it bad. You know, you need to hire someone, hire them. Hurry up. Go do it. Oh, you might make the wrong one. Yeah, guess what? So did I. I've had employees stab me in the back, stab me in the front. And like (laughs) everybody goes through that. That's not unique to you. Go through it. Then you won't be so scared of it. I guess that's kind of it. So I hope you guys uh, can cheer us on as we start Honor and Fire later this year. It's not ready yet. It's going to be amazing. Uh, We're going to be interviewing people like Russell Brunson and his wife. We're going to be interviewing Alex Sharfin and his wife and a gajillion other people. What we're doing, the first thing that will be part of Honor and Fire is a product we're building called Seven Figure Families. And we're interviewing super high achievers. You know, Alex Sharfin built a company over 200, 200 million bucks, right? Like Russell Brunson is one of my mentors. I'm in a mastermind group with him. He's the owner of ClickFunnels. They built a company to over $100 million a year. He did it in like five years. He has five kids. We're interviewing high-achieving entrepreneurs that have families, that have solid cultures and solid marriages. And we're asking them, like, like what family systems are you using to, to like, keep hold this together? Like, through the pressure and the crazy exposure and the opportunity and all the false pride that could seep in and make you think you're so cool, how are you holding this together tactically in your marriage and your parenting? Like, because I don't believe entrepreneurs should have to, 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 to quench their desire to build an empire. Like, if you're an entrepreneur, God made you that way on purpose. You're supposed to go build stuff. But you're not supposed to sacrifice your family on the altar of that business. And how do, how do you manage that? How do you aggressively pursue your business dreams? And not just, like, band-aid your family, but have a rock-solid, on-fire family that's on the same page, all in the same boat, rowing together. Like, how do you do that? We're going to be interviewing some of the most incredible people you've ever seen in your life that I'm privileged enough to have relationships with. And here's the best part. This Seven Figures family thing, this course, this whatever, it's going to be like 20 bucks, and all of the money is going to go to an orphanage in Ecuador that we support called Bless an Orphan. And Bless an Orphan doesn't even know that we're doing this. But when I send them their first six-figure check, and then I send them a seven-figure check, they're going to freak out. And that's what I'm about. And that's going to be the beginning of our funnel for Honor and Fire. It's going to be insane for 20 bucks, or maybe it'll be 40 I don't know, but it's going to be super cheap. And all the money go to orphanages, and it will be learning from the most incredible rock stars in business you've ever seen in your life, like Ben and Katie Richardson. They built an international baby brand called Pudge and, you know, built like a $30 million company. She's been on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine. She's been on Ellen DeGeneres' show twice and Rachel Ray. And, like, they have the craziest story, but they have a bunch of kids, and they have a solid, loving marriage. And, like, how did they do both at the same time? How did they think that big? And go from broke to that six. How did they do that? We're going to figure it out. And we're going to be sharing it with people because we believe that entrepreneurial families have the power to change the entire world. Like that's where it's at. That's what's up. So anyway, that's the vision for kind of my future. I'll keep you posted on the podcast as we do stuff. Uh, I just want to be vulnerable and transparent, uh, maybe to encourage you and just talk about it. I hope you all have a great day. Take care. God bless.